Hey everyone, David Bowden here. Before we start the show, we have a special announcement from the team here at Spoken Gospel. As we approach our summer film block, we're filming our final introductions for our whole project on the Bible, including books of the Bible like the book of Revelation and Chronicles, and it's going to be an amazing time. And we are almost finished funding our need for this film block, and we have about $30,000 left to cross the finish line. And we are asking you, our podcast listeners, to help make this possible. So please consider supporting our mission by visiting the Spoken Gospel website, clicking on donate and contributing what you can. Whether you choose to donate once or monthly, we're so grateful for your support. Okay, now on with the show. Every church is full of death, but because Jesus is the head of the church, he will bring life out of it. Yes, and as godly men and women of character embody deacon mm-hmm. and elder roles, that new life trickles down right. as they mirror Christ in, in themselves. Welcome to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Spoken Gospel is a ministry that's dedicated to speaking the gospel out of every corner of scripture. In Luke 24, Jesus told his disciples that every part of the Bible was about him. So each week, hosts David and Seth work through a passage of scripture to see how it's all about Jesus and his good news. Let's jump in. Well, welcome everyone to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. It's wonderful to have you. We are continuing in part two of our look at 1 Timothy chapters two and three, and Seth has a crazy look in his eyes. <laughs> he, he, you, you can see it. He wants, I think he has something he wants to throw yeah, me off with here. We ended last week talking about uh, the women in Ephesus mm-hmm. who are presumably false teaching, and we've talked mainly about all the prohibitions about women and men teaching as a, as a polemic, right? Oh, yes. Paul is bringing all this up to Timothy because the women and men who were false teaching had all this stuff in their system, and they were making it come out in their gatherings, yeah. and he wanted to correct it. Yeah. And we kind of talked about everything Paul's talking about here is something the false teachers did wrong or these ostentatious women uh-huh. with their dress were getting wrong. They were yeah. speaking over Timothy. They it's were a doing total something. polemic, yeah. Right. And then Paul appeals to the creation story because he's saying, you're repeating what happened in the Garden of Eden. Right. Don't do that, guys. Yeah. You know how that went. It went bad. <laughs> Don't do it. <laughs> However. However. I wanted to do something a little bit different Oh, uh, and talk about this from a different perspective. Okay. So we can talk about it as a polemic, uh-huh. as a response to what was happening in a given space. Yeah. But I also want to kind of make sense of the fact, I want to go deeper into the fact that Paul went all the way back to creation to ground this particular teaching. Okay. Um. Because I think it's interesting that Paul assumes like a teaching role for Timothy is grounded in the fact that Adam was created first. Right. And so he's like, Adam was created first. So he and he heard God's commands. Right. And, and presumably he was supposed to talk Eve. to Eve, but he failed to do so. And Eve instead listened to yeah. another teacher. Either told, he either told, forgot to tell her. Right. Yeah, tell he forgot her, to tell her. Told her wrong or told her right. And she forgot. 
and then as yeah she forgot or he told her right and then she heard a different voice and, yeah, then and had it, an opportunity to talk about it adam did nothing and right he didn't lean into the moment and try to teach correctly but just what, yeah, whatever the maybe situation. he taught but he was a bad disciple maker right something <laughs> something happened right. there okay but also with the promise so there's something about paul connecting adam's created firstness with the ability to teach but right. also connects women's role in the church with being the bearers of the promise connecting her to eve and being the one who would bear the messiah one day. right the line about you'll be saved by bearing the child yes so what this made me think of over mm-hmm. the course of the week was is there a broader biblical theme of the interplay or interdependence between men and women when it comes to teaching and bearing or holding the gospel oh because think about it. so we have this like paul's like okay men have a special responsibility to teach, like Adam had a special responsibility to teach, but women have a special responsibility to carry the promise inside of them. Oh, man. And so Adam, what was he supposed to do to his sons? Point to his wife, Eve, and Uh tell there's a a promised one coming who will save us. Right. And that was supposed to be the pattern for God's people outside the garden, where the men were supposed to point to the woman and say, there's a promise coming. Oh, okay. Born inside the woman Eve. Yes. And is that pattern practiced throughout the rest of scripture? And what got me thinking about this Uh was how we have masculine and feminine ways to talk about our own becoming Christians. James 121, we're told to receive with meekness the implanted word, like Mm -hmm. this masculine implanting or inseeding word in the way that like a man seeds a woman and bears a child. Yeah. And then in First Peter, we're told, 123, oh, yeah. we've been born again by an imperishable seed. Right. Again, a masculine metaphor connected to the word of God, the teaching of God. And in that implanted, situation, we're the woman. Being implanted with the word. and But then we are, John 3, 3, born again. Right. I was going to say, if we don't talk about John 3 here. Okay, right. We're yeah. at a feminine metaphor to mirror the fact that we are born. Mm-hmm. The woman carried the promise and birthed new life. Similar situation in the body of Mary. The spirit overshadows her mm-hmm. and implants in her Jesus. Jesus. <laughs> a woman bears the promised seed just like it was told to, to Eve. Eve. Yeah. So it's interesting that there's this seems to be this parallel between like the teaching masculine fatherly force uh-huh. that it seems to track over the word. And this feminine, bearing the promise, birthing new life, seems these two things seem to speak to each other throughout the biblical narrative. And I'm like, can we have a freewheeling conversation about that? And about maybe why those pieces of information might be grounding what Paul's saying, too? Okay, let me pick my brain off the floor first. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, that's very interesting. I think what's interesting about this, for Timothy's point here is it's not only, he's not just pulling out a proof text for how the household of God should be run. He's not just like, look, right. Adam's born first, then Eve. Get over it. Right. Right? He's like, no, don't you understand that there has been, and God maybe even sewed into the fabric of reality, a beautiful interplay yes. between man and woman. Yes. And that in man, this word goes forth. And in woman, it's seen as received and bearing fruit and giving birth to mm-hmm. what mm-hmm. God intended. Yeah. And you guys are breaking that. And if you want 
to see the church bear fruit and flourish. Men preach the word. Women bear it and like give life to it. And right. Let it come to fruition. It's and it's really interesting. Paul brings the same language up in First Corinthians eleven too. He says, "For this reason, uh, a woman, uh, for this re- it is for this reason that a woman ought to have authority." over her own head because the angels we won't get there (laughs) but he says nevertheless in the lord woman is not independent of man Mm -hmm. nor is man independent of woman for as woman comes from man so also a man is born of woman and everything comes from god and that whole context of first corinthians 11 is about orderly worship in the church Mm -hmm. so there seems to be paul seems to appeal to this interdependence between men and women men as the implanters the teachers of god's word and women as the holders and the bearer of but go- then the you gospel can't, yeah promise? but then once it's born once the seed is implanted you need the woman's womb to produce another man yes and so okay let me i maybe i'm sniffing out what you're okay. what you're getting after here is that and and I, i'm not trying to create a false dichotomy maybe i don't I'm not, i don't need to do that but it's going to sound like one where it's like maybe instead of there's a hierarchy in creation mm-hmm. man you know adam's born first and then eve okay maybe okay, okay let's just put that aside let's not create a dichotomy here Something else is going on. Yes. And it is, there is a harmony that exists between man and woman when they work in right relationship. Mm-hmm. Don't you know what that looks like? It's been all throughout the biblical story and all throughout the human experience that man implants something in woman and then woman gives birth to something that benefits man. Yes. And there's this harmony. And you're disrupting that harmony, women in Timothy's yeah. church by not receiving the implanted word mm-hmm. and therefore you're not bearing the fruit that the church needs. Yeah. And there's this interdependence that has been broken. Right. Is that what you, is Yes. That, yeah. Okay. I, I don't know if I would have taken it there, but that's, okay, that's yeah. exactly right. There's this an, was, Seth sprung this on me, so I'm <laughs> trying to play catch up right now. <laughs> no, I think that's right. Okay. And I mean, that seems to be Paul's original vision for what creation would have been. Yeah. As woman springs up out of Adam's rib, Adam right. teaches her the things that God has told her, and together they fill the earth, multiply, and subdue it together, flourishing right. under God's, in God's house, yeah. in God's first house. Uh, the assembly of the living God. Those mm-hmm. were the, the metaphors Paul uses to describe God's church is mm-hmm. that the, it's the assembly of the living God and God's house. And that was what Eden was. And those, as men and women, work together in that way, God's house is built up and it's encouraged and it's... Wow. That's one way to open a podcast. That's one way to open a podcast. <laughs> I also, we also have some church fathers who thought about this. Oh, like really? Cyril. Oh, yeah. Uh, and uh, there's even a fourth century catechism that talks about baptism as both a tomb and also a womb. Yes. We, the, the spirit is implanted into us by God the Father, and then we die like a seed does in the ground. Right. We are born out of the maternal waters like mm. all all children are born out of water right yeah We're all, like right. there's an amniotic yes. sac filled with water we're all born out of water and in the same way the seed is planted in the waters of death with christ but born again through the maternal waters of god into yeah. newness of life romans 6 right so like even like the baptismal imagery church fathers were communicating with the dual role of masculine and feminine metaphors yeah. to explain the interdependence of God's actions. But mm. like also in our case, interesting that masculine and feminine metaphors are mirrored in how Paul imagines the church working okay. in the Edenic way. Okay. So let me then riff on that for a second. So maybe some people have heard this text taught in mm-hmm. certain ways and they have felt like the people teaching it have tried to belittle women 
and yeah. maximize men. Um, and maybe even though we haven't necessarily said that, you felt that. Yeah. Um, but what you're saying here is there's an interesting thing. Like, sure, Paul said women don't teach in, mm-hmm. in Ephesus right here. Like, yeah. I don't permit a woman to teach. Okay. So we might think then that Paul has accorded uh, men a place of priority over women. And what you're saying is you're missing the other half of the story. Yeah. That there is a supreme place in the household of God that women play so much so that it has been this biblical theme throughout the whole world. And that maybe mm-hmm. for a woman to try to take that job from a man in that situation right, right, right. Would, you're, would end up being like, yeah, but who's nurturing that implanted who's, seed and who's the giving, church's mother yeah who's, who's the, the mother church's of mom e- who's the mother of eden yeah like, yeah we need mother eden figures yeah, yeah. and we so marginalized that role or unemphasized that theme in christian conversation yeah that well i want to serve in the church how do i do it well i gotta right teach that's the top role right and it's like not necessarily how would adam have populated the world without eve giving birth yeah she's the mother of all <laughs> like yeah it's really interesting it yeah, I I come to think about this for like a couple of years. <laughs> we uh, I was talking with Christine about this. One of our, our staff writers. One of our staff writers before he came on I was like, should I surprise David with this? <laughs> what, what, should we really should we really go there? And I mean, Paul says in Ephesians five that sex, but also the relationship between man and woman, is a great mystery. And he says it refers to Christ and the church. Mm-hmm. And I was like, think in the context of this broader conversation. The implanting of the husband into the the woman creates new life, right? In the context of sex and marriage, right? right. Like, yeah, it's like that's what biology. That's what yeah. happens. In the same way, the church progresses the same way. The man teaches the implanted word. Woman bears the promise, and new life is created in the church community. Right. That makes so much more sense too. That in uh, I think it's is it in Second Timothy, yeah, Second Timothy chapter one. So he writes another letter to him. And how does he start the letter? He starts it by recognizing the women who have borne Timothy uh, as a leader of the church, his yes. mother and his grandmother. Paul yes. knows that's how the church works. Right. I look that's back so anytime yeah. I talk to my mom and I'm like, mom, God did this crazy thing at Spoken Gospel or something. She's like, oh my gosh, I've been praying for that for five years. <laughs> and I'm like, she gave birth to it. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> She's the midwife for every good thing God's done in my life. Yeah. You know, and like, that's so amazing. Paul calls that out in Second Timothy chapter one. Like, man, he's like, women, don't forget the supreme role in the church you play. Stop being divisive and bear life with the implanted word that's in you. Yeah. That's so interesting. Wow. Okay. So that was that was the big bomb drop. I was like, I feel like we should talk about this because this is like the other. It's not just a polemic. But what if there's like this broader biblical story? Paul's trying. Yeah. He's not just saying he's not just saying stop it. Stop it in this one church. He's saying like, guys. Don't you know you're called into a bigger story? Yes. Yeah, so good. So. Okay, well, now maybe we can switch (laughs) to chapter three with elders and deacons. Last week, we talked about this literary unit chapters two and three um as like household codes and we talked a lot about the roman household and we talked about god's household the eden household the church is a household and we began that talk at the end of chapter three around the mystery of godliness that there's an 
order to the household of God, that it's the pillar and buttress of truth in the places where it's planted, and it guards that truth through six simple lines about the mystery of godliness, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up into glory. Yeah. And we, we've been talking about how that truth is guarded by God's house mm-hmm. being operated in an orderly way, mm-hmm. not in accord with the way the world operates, but in accord with how God operates his universe. That's right. One of those things is when we just talked about that there's this amazing, beautiful relationship between man and woman that God has been telling since the beginning of time that he wants replicated here in Timothy's church. There's an Edenic order that God's church should replicate. Right. I mean, he says that it's like how you ought to behave in the household of God. So the house of God is another way to talk about Eden. It's another way to talk about a temple. It's like God's house where God lives should be ordered this way. Or the other way to say it is the church of the living God, the assembled of the living God. Those that God lives inside, here's how they behave. Yeah. And so now the next step in that argument, or I don't want to call it an argument now that we're saying it's not just a polemic. Right. (laughs) Is uh, there's two more roles in the ordering of God's house. And those are those of, and I don't know if I should say overseers or elders here. Episcopos. Episcopos (laughs) is the Greek word here. Uh, Overseers and then deacons. Yes. Um, any thoughts on those two roles or two words? Is yeah. that should we not even talk about that because he doesn't really lay out like the f- their super like functions or yeah how he they're just assumes or, like, that Timothy knows what uh, an overseer, an elder, a bishop, other like yeah like a bishop uh, does and what a deacon does, an episkopos and a and a diakonos is the other Greek oh. word. Yeah. So those are the two roles that we have that he's going to talk about here. And I mean, I have one really interesting thought that I want to talk about, but is there any like broad strokes picture that we should have in our heads as we're thinking about these roles inside the household of God there at Timothy's church? In Acts 6, we have a clear picture of what a deacon does. Oh, yes. Acts 6, 1. In those days, there were a number of disciples was increasing and the Greek Jews were complaining because the Hebrew Jews were getting favorable treatment in this ministry of the church that was taking care of widows. Mm-hmm. And the 12 apostles gathered together and say, we can't handle both the, our teaching responsibilities and the, the responsibility to, the to run this widow ministry. And so they appoint uh, seven deacons mm-hmm. to run the ministry. And so from that, we kind of get, I think, the first like paradigm for what a deacon does. They are working alongside the leaders of the church to serve the people of the church. Yeah. Right. So it's like, that's their role. And they're often very godly people. They are godly people. There's a whole bunch of different. Yeah. They should be godly people. They should be godly people. That's what a deacon. Okay. The first time we hear about a deacon. Right. And then you have an overseer. Or an elder. Or an elder. And I don't, can't think of a story Mm -hmm. uh, in scripture yeah, not in, like, I can't think of like a narrative other than maybe the uh, the elders of the Ephesian church that lay their that hands lay on their Timothy. hands on Paul bef- Paul before oh, Paul, he goes right, right. on his trip to Jerusalem. That's right. But you don't really learn anything about them other than oh these must be leaders in the church. Yeah. So it seems that I mean maybe for our purpose the images we have in our Bible they seem elders seem to be the apostolic delegates mm. who are responsible for a local congregation. They're right. The, the responsible to teach that congregation to mm-hmm. or I mean. And this, they're the fathers of this congregation. Like, they're right. the, the head of the household of this congregation. Yeah. 
um, okay. who are supposed to carry out. Of course, wait, God is the head of the household. God is the head of the household. These are this is the first steward. Yeah, okay. of the, uh, yeah. God is the master they're, of the house. They're the first slave among slaves. They're the first slave among <laughs> slaves. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, okay. I, I've I've heard churches describe their lead pastor role that way. Like, oh, really? The first among equals. Oh, yes. And so that's the yes. way they lead is as a first among. Okay. The blo- among the slaves. other ransomed people. Of, of the other ransomed people of God. Yes. Okay. Um, why do you think? Paul goes from talking about men and women and order and teaching and all those things to the offices of elders and deacons. You know, there's this false teaching going on in the church. He's trying to get Timothy to step up and take control and kind of quell this uh, movement. And now he's talking about the elders and the deacons. What's probably going on there? Well, we've already been told back in chapter 1, verse 20, that two teachers in the church, two presumably elders in the church, overseers of the mm. church, had to be kicked out, Hymenaeus and Alexander. So there's already maybe a bit of a gangrene going on. Yeah, like there's a leadership, at least a leadership vacuum, mm-hmm. perhaps. And we do also know that false teaching has erupted enough to cause significant disruption in the worship service that Paul yeah. has to address it in the previous section about men and women in relationship to one another in the in right. the gathered service. Okay, so like one of several things might be happening here. You might have, like you said, a leadership vacuum where they they their their head elders just got excommunicated. Yeah. And now who's gonna lead the church alongside Timothy? Or there was such a rift in the eldership that um, who should lead, who shouldn't lead? How how do mm-hmm. I know who, who to excommunicate next or yeah. who's good to lead? Uh, or, yeah, I think there's so much yes. going on there. Or how do I protect against this happening again, maybe? Yeah. yeah, and one of the interesting things is the qualification for elders and deacons are almost identical. Almost. Yes. The one difference between them, the one significant difference between them is that an elder is able to teach. Mm-hmm. We're never told a deacon needs to be able to teach. Right. But an elder needs to be able to teach. And what was just on the line a couple of verses before? False teaching. False teaching and people saying they should have the authority to teach when they don't have the authority mm-hmm. to teach. So like the idea here in part as well is like you've had examples of poor leadership. Here's examples of godly leadership. Um, yeah. And here's what they should be able to do. Yeah. It's interesting. It's like if it is a bit of a polemic, I, I do wonder how much of this has to do with him kind of cheekily calling out a lot of the qualities of the false teachers by comparison to the ideal elder Right. He's yeah, like, yeah, hey, yeah. you know, don't be uh, like puffed up and full of conceit, you know, or you're going to fall mm-hmm. into disgrace and into the snare of the devil. It's like that's just how he described the false teachers. They're these people who are so arrogant, but yeah, they don't yeah, know what yeah. they're talking about. And he's like, don't don't be like them. You, you got to be <laughs> He's like sets up this antitype to the uh, the elders. Uh, that might yeah. have led this church Good astray. Good elders are sober-minded, wink. Right. They are self-controlled, wink. Right. They are respectable, wink. Hospitable, wink. Yeah. Do these describe the current people in leadership? If not... Uh, then you might be a bad elder, right? Yeah. <laughs> you might be a redneck. <laughs> yeah, so anyway, it's, it, it's interesting. I think I've only read this passage in the context of, oh, it's like a manual for who to hire as your elder, who to elect yeah. to your elder board or whatever, and not as this really clever uh, rubric, you know, mm-hmm. or even um, kind of literary polemic that Paul might be using in order to oust bad leaders from right. the church. When Hymenaeus and Alexander left the church by Paul's edict, my guess is that not everybody was happy with that decision. Oh, I'm sure not. Yeah. Presumably evidenced by the fact that false teaching is still happening 
Alexander will get another mention in Second Timothy. Uh, so it seems as if his influence is growing throughout mm. the course of these letters. So there's a group of people that aren't happy with him. And so Paul actually has to convince the loyalist to Alexander that he's disqualified himself as a leader of God's church. Right. So like he's actually teaching the congregation in the same time he's, I mean, I'm making your point. Yeah, again. but you're yeah. making it a little clearer. That's helpful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, what else do we do with this passage? You know, like, what yeah. Like, what else am I supposed to be thinking about other than like, hey, I mean, if, if I wanted to be an over an overseer or a deacon, these are a great list of qualifications to try to like aspire to in my Christian walk. Yeah. If you want to be in leadership in a church, yeah, you should take stock of these as like the way in which you become worthy of that calling. <laughs> you know, it's like that's yeah. these are the types of people God wants in His church. Mm-hmm. And if you're a current pastor, you should strive to live up to these as well. You know, like that's the. The, yeah. the part of the function. Right. And that's the way I think you're right. That's the way that I heard him most often. Right. Here's, here's the 10 things you got to be if you want to be an elder. Here's right. the 10 things you gotta, you're going to want to be if you want to be and a if deacon. if you miss one. Right. Yeah. Now that's kind of the, the basic way. But I think the second way that we're talking about it is like, well, they're also a polemic against the false teachers. Mm-hmm. It's showing the people of Ephesus the types of leaders they should be hoping for and the reason why people like Alexander and Hymenaeus have been disqualified. They don't live up to the command, to the high calling that scripture would call them to. Right. And so I I guess then we got to zoom back out and say, then there's two things in the line here. And I want to try to draw a line between them. We're talking about the household of God and keeping it in order so that the mystery of godliness, Mm -hmm. the gospel of Jesus might be proclaimed as the pillar and buttress of truth. In all the world. In all the world. Yeah. So how does having these types of men in the leadership of the church order the household and proclaim the gospel? Well... That's what's on the line, right? That's what's on the okay. line. Chapter 3, verse 4. He must manage his own household well. Mm. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? So there's a sense, like, the reason why we're harping on these characters... Like, we want good leaders of God's house, good stewards of God's house. Mm-hmm. And there are a whole bunch of qualified men in this congregation who could do that. But the first place that they prove they can lead God's house is in the Mm -hmm. house, the smaller house that they've been given a responsibility over. Can they do it there? Then they can do it here. I think that's starting to answer your question. Because the idea is that if the church is going to be a witness to the world around it, Mm -hmm. that it has the truth. Yes. Right. That it has the mystery of godliness. This is the house of the living God. This is the house of the living God. Then it needs to be run in a way that concurs with the gospel. Right. Right. How can you have a gospel that proclaims that the God of the universe became a slave and laid down his life? Right. Mm -hmm. If the men who say that they love him and serve him are mistreating those that they that have been put in their care. That's exactly right. It's like right. the gospel doesn't equal their lives. They have to be living the gospel out yeah. if they're going to order the house around the gospel. Yes. That's what goes in verse 7. He must be well thought of by outsiders. There ah. is a sense of which, like, the way the household of God is run is a public affair. That eldership and deacons are evangelistic just in their structure. Yeah, and the way that the character of the men and women in charge... Mm-hmm will impact the way the broader world sees you. And if you cannot be men of character, women of character in your positions as elders or deacons, the whole world's going to know it and bring shame on God's house. Right. Which, I mean, is not 
it's been happening all around us. I can't mm-hmm. like uh, it's too many examples to too, iterate. It's too many. It's Everyone like, knows one. Examples. Yeah, and it's like you have these like public investigations into churches right. where the leaders are corrupt. Yeah, and I and that those examples don't really bode well for the house of God. That doesn't make them look good to right. outsiders. Right, and yeah. often it's a few people at the top right. that poison the whole thing. Yeah, it's not like oh that person was a member at your church. Has that yeah. ever happened? Like, yeah, yeah. It's always leadership that yeah. ends up casting doubt on the church from the outside. Right. Yeah. So part of, I mean, you're right. Part of this is like evangelistic. The yeah. way that God's house is run should want other people to be a part of it. Yeah. And should run God's house in a way that wouldn't bring shame to God's house. Yeah. The leaders should be of such character, you know, like Jesus. Yes. That the people who go to that church would want nothing more than to submit to them. Right. And their leadership be like, oh, wherever this guy's going, I'm there because he's like Jesus. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, yeah. If he's the first servant. I can look servants, at that church yeah. and tell that's where God lives. Yeah. God lives I, there. I would I would be a kid in that house. And that doesn't just apply for leadership. So we, we talk about leadership mm-hmm. kind of in like quotation marks. Right. Like leadership writ large. Godly leaders make the house attractive to outsiders. Right. But that also the deacons, those who have the ministry of serving who lead by serving, yeah, you know, like right. they're, they have a really Christ-like role and that they are serving the body for needs that aren't necessarily their own. Right. And the way that those godly people serve is also, he says it this way, those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing mm. for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in. Christ Jesus like mm. the deacons have that same role of like projecting to the world a new mini Eden and that's why they need to be men and women of character right and they do that through serving like through Jesus serving. served it's yes. the mystery of godliness yes okay that's really cool the thing like the gospel turn that's like in my head as I'm thinking about this is since Jesus is the head of the church you know like it's he's the head of the household mm-hmm. and Jesus is the elder par excellence, yep. right? He he takes these qualifications and turns them up to 11 and does them perfectly. Yep. <laughs> Why is it good news that the head of our house, the head of the church, is Jesus, the perfect man, the perfect leader, the one who, mm-hmm. you know, was proclaimed among the nations, believed upon in the world and take, taken up into glory. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's the what's the gospel of the headship of the household of Jesus? I mean, I think part of it is that you have Jesus as the first shepherd, the first elder, the first deacon who dies to his own needs, but is resurrected in power. As he leads and serves in humility, he's resurrected in power. And so as the church elects or hires yeah whatever their individual process might right be. yeah godly church leaders that same type of resurrection life will happen again hmm. like the hope of godly church leaders is to enact resurrection life to a church full of broken people hmm. you know it's like th- the church is full of broken people sad people depressed people right. sinful people yeah and i don't think there is any pastor out there who believes they're going to go pastor a group of healthy, well-adjusted people <laughs> who believe the gospel perfectly. Right. That's not the, the position human beings are in. Yeah. And so we're all dying. Yeah. Everyone in the church is dying. And so when you have a leader, a deacon, an elder, 
going into that position to be like Christ, to die to their own self, to die to their desires, to be a man or a woman of character, is to invite the same humility and death in themselves that guarantees resurrection life for others. Right. They bear the burdens of their congregation. They also bear them up into eternal life. Yeah. Like, yeah, the good news that Jesus is the head of the church is that every church is full of death, but because Jesus is the head of the church, he will bring life out of it. Yes. And as godly men and women of character embody deacon mm-hmm. and elder roles, that new life trickles down right. as they mirror Christ in, in themselves. I think another thing, as we've talked about being thought well of by outsiders in Timothy here, but then also in our own day and age, the attacks against the church, mm-hmm. um, some rightfully grounded on terrible yeah. things that leaders have done. Um, it's really good news for those of us in the church who are staying faithful to the bride of Christ, despite all the attacks that come against it. Yeah. I think the reason we maintain our trust in the church, the bride, the assembly, the house, is because we know that man's not actually at the head of it. Yeah. That Jesus is the elder yeah. of elders, yeah. the deacon of deacons, yeah. the pastor of pastors, yeah, right? Yeah. Jesus is the head of the house. And I know that regardless of my leader's failings and regardless of my own failings, I know that the house will ultimately be ordered right and then I'll be a safe kid and servant inside of it because I know who the dad is. Yeah. I know who the head of the house is mm-hmm. and he's rock solid. Yeah. You know, it's like you, you would look, it's like looking at an, like a, a house of, of any family in your neighborhood mm-hmm. and you can look at it. And it's like, oh man, did you hear what's going on with their teenage daughter? It's so sad. Or did you hear their grandma died of cancer and all this stuff mm-hmm. could be swirling around in the house and you are going to be incrementally more concerned for that family based on who the dad is in the house. Hmm. If there's a rock solid man of God in that house, you're going to ache for the family and the things they're going through, but you're going to know they're going to pull through it. Yeah. Cause yeah, there's yeah. a, right. the head of the house <laughs> is firm, right? Yeah. But if there's no head of the house or the father is a drunkard and yeah. you're gonna be like, well, that's it for them. They're done. Yeah. You know, it's like there's a solidity, the pillar and the buttress, the foundation of truth is grounded in the fact that Jesus is the head of the church. Mm-hmm. And you can't assail that. You can't attack that. Yeah, Jesus is never going to have a moral failing. <laughs> like, we're safe in the house of God because Jesus is the dad. Yeah, he, he, not, I'm not trying to like confuse the fatherhood of God with the well, sonship yeah, of Jesus. Uh, you know what I'm saying? If you've seen Jesus the son, you've seen the father. Here's, this is a different gospel term. Okay, I'm ready for I it. Was, I don't know how to make sense of it, but it's verse thir- 13 again. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves Hmm. so the first one was like elders need to be thought well of by by outsiders outsiders as a qualification here deacons who serve gain a good standing for themselves among the outsiders and also great confidence in the faith that is in christ jesus so like serving as a means for gaining confidence in your salvation yeah and even Getting a good standing. So, yeah, talk to me about that. When I think about the benefit of salvation is that I'm with God forever. Right. Or that I go to heaven when I die. That yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. that's the kind of the, the first things I think about. But he's like, the reason why you want to be a deacon is so that you can gain good standing for yourself and grow in your confidence in the faith. Right. What is he talking about? Yeah, I think it's a, a theme in the Bible that I'm a little uncomfortable with, but I'm trying to get more comfortable with it. 
and I, I don't know if it was my upbringing or my seminary or whatever <laughs> that kind of beat this out of me. But it's like for some reason, I think that rewards are bad. Like, yeah, yeah. That you don't pursue God for his blessings. Right. That's bad. Yeah. You pursue him because he's God and he's good. True. Not attacking that at all. Uh, but God does reward those who pursue him. Mm-hmm. They bear fruit in season. This isn't health and wealth gospel. Yeah. This is being the son of a really good dad. That's what yeah. this is. And so I'm reminded of Hebrews 11 that says this. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Right? And whoever would draw near to God must believe two things. So if you want to draw near to God and have a faith that pleases him, here's the two requirements. You must believe that he exists. It's a good one. So it's <laughs> Ground floor. Ground floor. <laughs> but then listen to the second qualification, that he rewards those who seek him. Hmm. You have to believe that he's a good God who when you seek him, he rewards you. So it makes so much sense. That's the first thing that I thought of. Mm-hmm. The second thing is that what you've described about the deacons here, what happens to them, mm-hmm. they're servants in the church. Yeah. They give their lives to help those who are less fortunate, maybe the widow's ministry, which we know was functioning in Timothy's church. Yep. Um, maybe that's you know, where they were. <laughs> Poorly. But, <laughs> we'll you know, get there. We'll get there in 2 Timothy. Or no, it's in 1 Timothy, yeah. And you have these servants, right? Uh, the deacons are the servants of the church, Okay. And yet, as they serve, as they go low, as they give themselves, what happens to them? They raise up. They mm-hmm. be, they get in right. good standing. Mm-hmm. What in the world? That's interesting. That's a picture yeah. of the gospel. Right. Jesus served, went low, made himself a slave, and he was raised up. Yeah. So what he's saying is, this is just the mm. way God built the world, mm. that when you lose your life, you gain it. Yeah. And he's saying, that's how I built the household of the world. And so deacons, if you want to live in my world in a really good way, go low and you'll go high. Yeah. Yeah. It's just how God built the world. Mm. And confidence in the faith. Do you think that means like a confidence in their own sense of being God's child? Mm. Or so it's like the more you serve the church, the more confident you feel that you're God's own child. Or is that more like confidence in the faith and like a more general, so you become more confident that Jesus really is the God who takes low people and brings them high. Yeah, I think there's a lot, probably a lot of it. I, I know like when our church talks about volunteering, you know, we'll have like a volunteer drive or yeah, something yeah, like yeah. that. And people will share their testimonies about being a door greeter or uh, working in the nursery. And uh, again and again and again, the common denominator I always hear with these volunteers is that they just feel so much closer to the Lord. Hmm. I don't know why. Right. I can't like draw a logical line necessarily for you. Because honestly, it's probably a hundred different ways. You know, for one person, it's this pathway. For another person, it's that pathway. But for some reason, something happens in their brains and in their hearts that through serving, they just love Jesus more. Probably because they're being like him more. Right. And they're experiencing, I think like what you were getting at, they're experiencing the way God built the world. Mm -hmm. Like, man, I gave up my Sunday morning and woke up a little earlier and poured out my heart to these kids in in the child care. And for some reason... I just feel awesome. Yeah. You know? like, <laughs> right, right, right. And it's like, I wonder why. Oh, man, because God built the world that way. It's mm-hmm. like you're living the gospel. And as you live the gospel, you die and then you get life. You give you give thinking mm-hmm. you won't get anything. And then you do. It just confirms mm-hmm. the death and resurrection of Jesus over and over and over again to yourself. Pragmatically. You're like, right. of course Jesus died and rose. 
look what happened when I gave and then God when raised I me up. I gave something up as small as a Sunday morning and received back joy. Joy. <laughs> Who <laughs> trades a Sunday? I would take joy for a su- like if yeah, I yeah, take received my Sunday geez, morning. Give me, give me joy. joy. Like that's a good trade. <laughs> it's the one thing everyone wants and they can't get. Right. And it's right. like, what do you need to do to get that? Just serve. Yeah. And it's like, well, yeah, deal. So oh, that's yeah, that's good. probably part of it. Yeah. That's but it's good a, news. I think it's also like mystery the mystery of godliness mm-hmm. is I don't know why serving makes you grow in your faith. That's part of the mystery of godliness. It just does. It just it just it, just does. God just built does. the world that way. So yeah. Anything else floating in your in your mind about this? N- not really. I mean, well, great. I I loved this. Yeah, this was a really interesting conversation, especially the beginning part that blew yeah. my mind. Well, um, what's next for us then? Well, next week we'll be in uh, the last three chapters of Timothy. Whether that's one podcast or two, we have not yet decided. Kay. But it's going into more conversations about the false teachings that are happening in Timothy's church, and pairing it with Timothy's responsibility to teach the word yeah um, and then it ends with some a potpourri of pastoral application Ooh. here's how to fix your widow's ministry here's how to <laughs> fix the, the men getting drunk here's how to fix this problem <laughs> the, this is the practical back half of the pastoral book <laughs> yeah 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 all the theology in the front part and then it's like okay okay let's get out of brass here's how to fix your youth ministry yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome well great well we hope you guys will join us as we wrap up first timothy over the next uh, week or two uh and we will see you there Thank you for listening to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Spoken Gospel creates short films, devotionals, and podcasts like this one. Everything we make is free because of generous supporters like you. To see our resources, visit SpokenGospel.com or subscribe to our YouTube channel. Thanks for listening. See you next week.